but praise God, we're burning daylight. We've got uh, Barry Bennett is up now to minister to us. And, and Barry and his wife, Betty Kay, have been missionaries in Chile, wasn't it? For, and you had a church there. How many years were you in Chile? Twelve years in Chile. He's fluent in Spanish. I think, uh, if I'm correct, he ran a Spanish Bible school in Dallas. And God just put it upon their hearts to come here. And they didn't tell anybody about what they had done. And uh, Betty Kay worked in our data entry, still does. And Barry was actually answering all of our emails. They never said a word to anybody. They never came. They never tried to promote themselves. They just came here to serve. And I don't even know how we heard about Barry being a minister. I think it was Gary found out. And Gary asked him to come minister. And Barry ministered in here. And the students went wild, gave him a standing ovation, got more of his CDs than any person that had ever ministered here. And so the next year, we used him a few more. And within a year or two, he was on staff teaching in the Bible school. And I've just been impressed by his humility. And uh, he's not promoting himself. And he just is here to serve the Lord. And I tell you, God loves him, uses him. The students love him. So anyway, this is Barry Bennett, and he's going to minister to us this morning. Thanks, God. Good morning. Thank you. <clears throat> Let me clear my throat. All choked up already. What a, what a blessing it is to be here and uh, to see all of you and most all of you that are thinking about coming. Uh, this could really be a pivotal time in your life, and uh, I pray that it be that. Uh, what, a, what a treat it is, a blessing to be able to minister here this morning and, and share the word with you. I am now actually the, the dean of students of the Bible College. And... Uh, That means I get to enforce the rules. <laughs> but really, there's only one rule. The handbook is very small, just one, one rule. Be ye therefore perfect. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, most of our students, they're, they're perfect little specimens of holiness. <laughs> so, why are you laughing? So, Every now and then somebody will accidentally break the rule. And uh, so they get to come to my office and we talk. And I lovingly and gently bring correction. And there's weeping and repentance. <laughs> they kiss my ring. They say, thank you, God. For, thank you, Barry. And, and uh, then there's nothing but rainbows and butterflies after that. It's just... So, this is a good place to be. Good place to be. But really, we do have a great time. I enjoy my interaction with the students. And uh, the opportunity to teach, obviously, is, is number one in my life. I, I'm blessed to be able to share the word, but then to have other kinds of interaction with the students. And uh, if you come here, I will try to get to know you. I'll ask your, your name many, many, many times. And uh, maybe by third year, I'll have it. 
So anyway, that's all great. Now, I'm stalling for time here a little bit because uh, last night Andrew announced that he was going to preach my message from uh, 2 Timothy. And I thought, how this keeps happening. How? At the men's advance, I found out the day before that another speaker was going to preach my message. And so I ran home and, and, and came up with a new message. And uh, a year ago at some other event, three different speakers got into my material before I had a chance to get up. <laughs> now, what are the odds here? And I, I keep wondering, why does the Holy Spirit impress me on these topics, and then somebody else gets them and, and, and preaches them. And I think I'm figuring it out now. What he's saying is, don't preach this, <laughs> preach something else. Uh, so, I, I'm, I, I think I've got it now, okay? So whenever I get this strong impression from the Lord, I, I know, okay, somebody else has got that one. Uh, I'll do something else. So, Pretty much I figured out, you know, Arthur, I can't preach love because Arthur preaches love. That, that's his territory. And I can't preach cows because Lawson preaches cows. <laughs> and I can't preach what you do with cows because that's Wendell's territory. Right? And really, just about everything from Genesis to Revelation is Andrew's territory. <laughs> so I may end up having to preach from the minor prophets. I don't know. It's... But uh, I do want to share with you a little bit this morning from 2 Timothy. And, and if you turn there, I, I'm trying to get you laughing now because the message is a real downer. But well, uh, if you want to turn with me to 2 Timothy... And actually, I have had this on my heart for several weeks, and I've been meditating on it and, and working with it. And, you know, I feel the Lord has a word here for us this morning. And as I was reading 2 Timothy, I realized, for, if you don't know, this is the last letter that we do have from Paul. And in the letter, if you'll go to 2 Timothy 4, he says in verse 6, For I am now ready to be offered... And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but to, unto all them that love his appearing. And, I'm, and I'm, as I'm reading this and meditating on it, I realize... Paul, is, Paul knows the end of his life is near. He knows that he's finished his course, he's run his race. He says, I'm, the time of my being offered up, my departure is at hand. And so this letter, you could say, I don't, we don't know what happens after 2 Timothy. We don't know really the history is somewhat of a mystery. But in his mind at the time he's writing this, this is probably his last letter, his last statement before he departs. So with that in mind, we realize that whatever he's writing in here is going to be of utmost importance to him. This is, this is something that is deep within his heart, something that is alive within him, something he feels needs to be shared. And what I find interesting is that he's writing to Timothy. He's not writing to a church. He's not writing a doctrinal statement. He's writing to his son in the faith. Go with me to 2 Timothy 1. 
He says in verse 2, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son. In other words, his last letter now is being written to to one whom he considers his son. We don't know if, if Paul was ever married or had his own children, and no evidence either way on that. But he considers Timothy his beloved son in the faith. And so this last letter, this last chance that he thinks that he has to write someone, he writes his son in the faith. And he says, uh, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, and then in verse 4 he, has, he says, greatly des- desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. So he's, he's longing for this son in the faith. And it, it strikes me that in this last letter, this most important thing, this thing he wants to get off of his heart before he departs, he chooses his son. And I'm reminded of the time when Jesus, in John 17, was praying, and Andrew actually mentioned this last night, when he was praying in the garden. Go with me to, to, to John 17 real quick. In his last prayer, as he's contemplating what he's about to go through and the fact that he is departing as well. And in verse 9, he's talking about, in verse 8, I've given them thy word. And in verse 9, he says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which you have given me, for they are thine. And I, I teach this another when we talk about prayer and intercession. But he says, now that I'm about to leave, now that I, this thing is wrapping up, it's coming to an end, and I'm about to depart from this world, and as, as Andrew mentioned last night, and he realizes that God's plan A is these 11 guys that are left. He's got a bunch of fishermen. He's got a guy that works for the IRS. And he's thinking... This is it. This is it. This is what you're leaving me with. He says, okay, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for them. He's concerned about the ones that are left behind, the ones that are going to have to reproduce what, he, what his message is. So he says, I'm not praying for the world right now, Father. I'm praying for these men that you have given me, these who are going to go out and take this message. These are going to reproduce what I have given them. That was a, you know, just off the track here a little bit, but can you imagine the faith of God to be willing to entrust not only his, his son as a baby and then as, as a man and ministering and what have you, and then he gives the word to common, ordinary men, and then Jesus, the creator of all life, goes to the cross, gives his life knowing it's all on these guys' shoulders, these 11 No wonder he was sweating great drops of blood in the garden. But going back to 2 Timothy, he's he's concerned for this because as as we read through this, now we want to look at a few things. He's concerned for Timothy for several reasons. This is the one that's going to be left behind, the one that's going to reproduce, hopefully, what Paul has ministered to him for so many years. And so he said... He says in uh, verse 5, in 2 Timothy 1.5, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, so he's declaring Timothy's faith, but then listen to this, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. And here you get the first inklings that Paul's concerned. He, he first mentions his faith, and then he tacks on the end, I'm persuaded it's still in you. In other words, there seems to be a hint of doubt. I'm persuaded you're still in the faith, Timothy. I think you still are in the faith. So let's read on. 
He says in uh, verse 7, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Could it be that Paul was realizing that Timothy was fearful? He says, I I remember your unfeigned faith. I'm persuaded you're still in the faith. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. And then he goes down into verse 8. Be thou not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. But be thou partaker of the afflictions. Is it possible that Timothy was ashamed at times of the gospel? Was he afraid of the afflictions? Is that why Paul's saying, don't be afraid that God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. I'm persuaded you're still in the faith, Timothy. Don't be afraid. Don't have a spirit of fear. He said, don't be ashamed and be, be, be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. So you can kind of get a picture from these opening verses that this last letter, this which he considers most important, the the last thing Paul's going to write to someone, he writes to his son in the faith, and his son in the faith appears to be wavering. He appears to be shrinking back a little bit. He appears to be withdrawing. He's ashamed, embarrassed, we could say. He's, He's drawing back. There's fear, and he's not wanting to go through the afflictions. Anybody identify with any of this? So many times in life when, when, we, we are put, when a challenge is put before us, for some of you it may be the challenge of, of going to Bible school. And you think, how can I possibly do this? And the natural tendency is to shrink back, be a little bit fearful. When you want to tell people that you want to go to Bible school, you may get embarrassed because they're going to say, what's that? You're gonna, that's a cult. Anyone heard that? You know, that's a cult. Uh, cults don't have a sense of humor. <laughs> and we do. Amen. So, but people, people draw back. They, they're fearful. They, they don't want to put up with the afflictions. So some of you that are going through some of these emotions, perhaps, this is what Paul was writing to Timothy, his beloved son in the faith. And he, he's writing him. He's concerned for him. All right? So let's, let's look at how Paul approaches his own his own testimony. Go with me to verse uh, 12. He's trying to encourage Timothy. So we have a few, few instances of Paul's testimony. He says, For the which cause I also suffered these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. He's writing this for a reason. He's encouraging Timothy. He says, Don't be ashamed. I am not ashamed. We'll go on down to verse 15. This thou knowest that all they that were when, uh, all they which are in Asia be turned away from me. People were leaving Paul. And so he's sharing this with Timothy. Hey, you haven't gone through anything that I haven't gone through, and much, much more. People turned away from me, but I'm not ashamed. We'll go on to chapter two, verse nine. He says, Wherein I suffered trouble as an evildoer even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Verse 10, therefore I endure all things. So Paul is encouraging, he's showing Timothy the very things that Timothy is fearful of, Paul has gone through. This is his testimony. This is what he's been through. This is the life of the ministry. And then, as if to continue to encourage him, although it's almost discouraging, we get to chapter 3. And he's going to tell him what the ministry is really like. Second Timothy 3, he says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. 
For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Verse uh, 11, persecutions, afflictions, which came to me at Antioch and Iconium. What persecutions I endure, but out of them all, the Lord has delivered me. So he's sharing with, with uh, Timothy, hey, that, this is the ministry. People are going to be lovers of self. People are going to be lovers of pleasure. People are going to have a form of godliness, and they're going to be denying the power of it. But don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't draw back in fear. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, Timothy, but of power and love and a sound mind. Endure the affliction. Suffer with me in the things of the gospel. Don't, don't draw back. And so we have this, this letter, this last letter, this, we could almost say, will and testament, the, the last words. I mean, how many of you wish, I wish that my father had known that he was departing so he could have left me some last words. Most of us don't have that, that treasure. Um, many times people depart without us having that warning. But here Paul knows he's about to depart. And the only thing he's concerned about, see, he doesn't write another book of Romans. He doesn't write to the Ephesians. He doesn't write to another church. He doesn't give a doctrinal statement. He writes to his son in the faith. And his heart is pouring out to this son, this Timothy that's been with him, who's traveled with him, who's seen this ministry, and who he's left in certain places to establish churches and ordain elders and what have you. And yet it seems that Timothy is wavering. He's falling back. He's ashamed. He doesn't want to endure afflictions. He's, he's fearful. And, to, and Paul's thinking, man, this is the guy I'm leaving behind. Other, everyone else has turned away from me. This is the only guy that's left. And if he, if he fails, what happens to the message? What happens to the message? Do you know that all of us are here because someone else had the courage to share the message? All of us are here. There are 2,000 years of history of people that have had the courage to, to share the message with us. And you're here because someone wasn't ashamed. They didn't draw back. They probably or perhaps endured some affliction to bring the message to you. And so now the question is, what are you going to do with the message? How precious is the message to you? How precious is the power of the Holy Spirit, the love of God? How precious is that in your heart that you want to see that developed and see that, and you want to, to reproduce that which has been produced in your own heart? So then we go, let's go to 2 Timothy 2. And then we, we find out the purpose of Paul's letter and what he's really writing all of this about. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Thou therefore, my son... Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace. The very fact that he could say be strong in grace indicates you can be weak in grace. I mean, grace is available, but not everybody chooses to be strong in grace. Grace is God's provision for man's every need. Everything that you could possibly need has been provided in grace, but if you choose to be weak in grace... You can go without. The, you know, and I share this with the students. If grace were automatic in the sense that it just struck everybody the same, we would all be equal. We would all be exactly the same. 
There would be no sick people, no poor people, no anything. Every, everyone would be identical if grace were automatic. But grace is, a, is, a, is received by faith in every area of our lives. And he's telling Timothy here, be strong in grace. Be strong in grace. And then he goes on and he says, and this is the heart of the letter, why he's writing, verse 2. And the things that you have heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Or everything that you've received, everything that we've been through together, all that you've seen me do. Not only was I doing that for others, I was doing that for your sake. So that something, some imprint of my life could have been left on you. Is somebody imprinting your life right now? See, I can look back, and I'm sure Andrew and others can look back and see people that had imprint on their life. And I've shared this in class even recently, I think. Certain, certain men of God who I patterned myself after. Men of God who had imprint in certain areas of their lives that I, I, I wanted to reproduce or be like that. In my youngness, I, you know, I said, I want to be like him. I want to be like him. But there was something being imprinted on my spirit. It's, it's good to see the gospel in flesh and blood. We can hear it and hear it and hear it, but it's good to see somebody who's living it, walking it out. That imprint gets in you, and you become like them. Something You draw something from them. And this is what Paul is saying to Timothy. He says, you've, you've traveled with me. You've been with me. You've probably even been through some afflictions with me. That's why you may be pulling away. That wasn't pleasant. But the things that you've seen, the things that you've heard, the things that you've seen me impart to others, it's time for you, Timothy, now to stand up, to man up, we would say today, and begin to teach these to others. Amen? So then we look at, let's go on to uh, verse 3. 2 Timothy 2.3, he says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And now he's going to give us three examples that we need to consider. He says, Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life. So the, he's comparing the ministry to warfare. There is battle, there is affliction, there is persecution, there is hard times. But if this is your call, then you, you are called to this. He says, no man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. Okay, I told you this was going to be a downer. But has God chosen you to be a soldier? I believe he has. Now, this doesn't mean we have to, I mean... That's not, I don't want to take this to an extreme. But let's think about a soldier here. What's the first thing that happens when somebody gets brought into the service, into the military? See, they get separated. Step, if you're taking notes, step one, separation. Separation. When you go into the military, see, he's using three examples here, and they all have a lot to say. Separation. When you go into the military, you are separated. Now, I wasn't in the military. My, my family has a military tradition, but I was in the Corps of Cadets at Texas A&M. Anybody want to say whoop? All right, thank you. And uh, that was a 24-7 military situation. It was similar to the military in many ways. And then the first thing, that you're separated from your family. You're separated from your culture. You're separated from language. Language changes dramatically for the worse. Uh, <laughs> You're separated from your clothes. 
You can have all new clothes. They look just like everybody else's clothes. You're separated from your hair. What is it with women in the military? They don't shave their heads. I, what's up with that? I don't get that. I don't know. Anyway. But, there, but separation takes place because now you've been set apart for a particular specific purpose. And in that purpose, you don't entangle yourself with the affairs of this life. When you're in the military, you are set apart for something. There is a purpose for you, and that purpose is going to be realized whether you like it or not in the military. The thing that's different about the body of Christ is you can choose. You can choose just how far you want to go in these things. How many of you really want to be a soldier? See, he's, he's pouring his heart out to Timothy. Endure afflictions. Endure hardship. Be a soldier. Don't get entangled with the affairs of this life. Don't, don't be fearful. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. And I know I'm, I'm talking to some hearts here today. And some of you are just not quite over the hump here of being willing to make a break. There's a separation that's called for. Think of Abraham. Abraham, God said, get thee out of your family. There was a separation that took place. Think of, Jesus, think of Moses in the wilderness for so many years. A separation took place from Pharaoh's house. Think of Jesus in the wilderness, 40 days in the wilderness, separated unto the Father that he might learn who he is and what his ministry is. Paul, after he's called, separates himself and goes off into the wilderness for a season. Now, I'm not saying you have to go off into the wilderness. But there is something that needs to take place in our hearts, which is a separation from the things of the world and a complete total commitment to the things of God. See, and Andrew talks about that in his, his own experience. And it's March 23rd, 1968, I got it. And uh, something took place. Something took place in my heart. And I can remember when I decided that, you know, school is no longer important. In that, case, in that place in time, I was a senior at, at A&M, and I was not interested anymore in school. And that became evident, and I was invited to seek my fortunes el- elsewhere. But... Uh, <laughs> But I was separated unto God. I, all I considered, all I concerned me was, the, is, was God, the Word of God. I had in my Bible. I marked it. I mean, I was in the Word day and night. I love the Word of God. Still do. Separation took place. And Paul is saying this to Timothy. If you're going to be a soldier of Jesus Christ, then there is a separation that has to take place. Sometimes it's geographic. It doesn't have to be geographic. But at the very minimum, it's in your heart where the things of the world are no longer attractive to you. Because the things of God are so much more exciting, so much more glorious. And Paul saying to Timothy, man, you're all I've got left here. Endure hardship. Be a soldier. Man up. Let's go. And there's some, some here that need to hear this. We just can't keep playing church or playing Christianity. This is the army of the body of Christ. It's you. And those of us that understand the grace message, how much more responsibility do we have to bring people from darkness to light? I mean, we have something that much of Christianity doesn't even begin to to grasp yet, how much God loves us. Soldiers are separated. Then he goes on. Let's look at the next one. 
Verse 5, 2 Timothy 2, 5, he says, And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. Here he's talking about sports, talking about athletes. The mastery in some physical endeavor usually, or it could be something else, but I think particularly he's speaking about sports. Striving for mastery, an athlete. What does an athlete do? Now, separation obviously takes place, but what what also takes place? Training, or what I would call preparation. Preparation. Hours and hours and hours. I was a swimmer when I was growing up, and my life was spent in the pool. From ages 12 to 16, 17, I was in the water every day, 365 days a year, and in the summer times, twice a day, morning and evening. And we trained and trained and trained and trained and trained. I, we used to swim a mile, 72 laps, for warm-ups. Then we would start our workouts. I mean, it was nothing but training. Any athlete that wants to be a great athlete, they dedicate themselves completely, totally to that. And he's using this example, striving lawfully, being completely dedicated, being completely given to. And see, athletes will do this. It's interesting, I I read a quote by Jesse Owens, a great uh, Olympian from 1936, and he says, a lifetime of training for 10 seconds, the 100-meter dash, a lifetime of training for 10 seconds. See, men, natural men will do that for a corruptible crown or a medal. They will give their lives for a 10-second race. They will give their lives for some event or some sport. They will give everything. They will train day and night, or a musician will train six, eight hours a day. They will, I mean, people in the natural do that. Why can't we in the spiritual do the same? See, we offer this Bible school, and, and it's four hours in the morning. And, and sometimes people think, wow, I gave my four hours to God, and now let's go have fun. And, you know, there's a lot of neat things to do in this area, and I'm not against that at all. But I'm, what my, my idea here is, where's your heart? Have, have your fun. Enjoy the area. No problem there. But are you still in training? Are you still in preparation? Do you still have a greater goal, a greater vision? What is, what is your purpose? Are you discovering why you're here? while you're here. What is your purpose? What is the call of God on your life? What is that unique thing, that divine thing that he's placed in you that is going to be realized, but only realized if the separation and the preparation take place? See, I don't, when I was in Bible school, I, I was like, I was, what, 24, 25 years old when I was in Bible school, and I wasn't sure what God's call on my life was. I just knew I was called to Bible school. I was willing to separate myself for those two years at that particular school. And in those two years, then I began to comprehend there was a call on my life. And toward the end of those two years, I felt that that call was missions at that, at that particular point in time. And so when I realized that, then all of my focus, everything became missions-oriented. See, I became focused. And because I became focused, and because I, even though we made some mistakes and, and there were some gaps of time where we, we missed it, nonetheless, I never lost my focus. And I can say this, and I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to, we say, as we say in Spanish, throw myself flowers here. This isn't what I'm saying. But the fact that I'm here today 
is because of the focus when I was 25 and 26 and 27, and I stuck with it, and I stuck with it, and I stuck with it. There's, see, this is the preparation thing. Everything is the preparation. Andrew said last night, preparation time is never wasted time. And that's why we have this golden opportunity, all of you that are here that are students and some that are thinking of coming. What an opportunity to separate yourself for two or three years and enter into preparation, enter into this time of training, this time of not being entangled in the affairs of this life, giving yourself to the things of God, discovering your purpose, discovering your gift, getting involved in body life, learning how to walk and talk as a soldier of Jesus Christ, an ambassador of Christ, one who is set apart for a particular divine purpose. What's your purpose? What's that call on your life? And is this the place you should be? Is this where you should come? Is this part of that separation? Is this part of that preparation for your life? It very well could be. Amen? How many still with me this morning? All right. Let's go on to 2 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, 2 Timothy 2. Verse 6. So he's talked about the soldier. He's talked about the athlete. And then he says in verse 6, the husbandman, we could say the farmer, that labors must be first partaker of the fruits. Now I've looked this up in Greek and in various translations, and I like the Spanish the best, actually. Where it says, before you take part in the harvest, you have to farm. You have to work. Or the farming comes before the harvest. The work comes first. And the way I would make that fit in with this is that we have the, the separation, we have the preparation, and then we have the application. Applying yourself to that which God has put in your, in your spirit, in your heart. You have to. In other words, he's talking, to, he's talking to Timothy here. Timothy's the one that's a little bit ashamed, a little bit fearful, drawing back a little bit. Not sure whether he wants to endure afflictions. But he wants the glory. Now, I'm just surmising here, okay? But just go with me for a second. You can't have the glory if you don't put in the, the work. So you can't get the medal. That's why he used the thing of the athlete. You can't get the medal if you don't put in the training. You can't, you can't do the things God has called you to do if there's not the separation. And the farmer, he's not going to get a crop by just looking at the, at the dirt. There's a, a quote. Let me see if I get it right here. I like quotes says, you'll never plow a field by turning it over in your mind. (laughs) That's good. See, a lot of us are thinking on out ahead someday, someday, one day, over here, someday. But there's no separation, there's no preparation, there's no application, there's no taking the first step. Someday somebody will hire me to be an associate pastor. Another quote. I've already shared this with the students. In life, you only start at the top when you're digging a hole. (laughs) Application. Getting involved. Putting your gifts to work now, where you are, in your local church, in the school, whatever. Beginning to apply what you've learned. Not waiting for someone to give you a medal before you get started. Are you applying what you have? Have you separated yourself? Are you training in, the, in these areas? And are you then going to use it? And this, this is what he's telling, he's telling Timothy. Let's read through it again. 2 Timothy 2, 3. Thou therefore endure hardness 
As a good soldier of Jesus Christ, no man that wars entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. Paul is concerned about Timothy being pleasing to God. There are a number of verses in the New Testament that talk about us being pleasing to God. See, we know he loves us. That, that issue is settled. But are you pleasing to him? Are you pleasing to him? Verse 5, And if a man also strive for masteries, yet he is not crowned Timothy, except he strive lawfully. In other words, Timothy, the reward is still out there. You can't get the reward without the training, the preparation, the, the striving for the things of God. And then he says, the husbandman that labors must be first partaker of the fruits. Which I think if we, if we reword it a little bit here, either way it works, but there's no fruit without labor. It says, one who, who, one who would, desires the fruit must first climb the tree. The tree's in the fruit, or the fruit's in the tree. You have to climb the tree to get the fruit. You have to plow the ground to get the harvest. And so Timothy is being admonished over and over again. And so there's this issue of separation, this issue of preparation, this issue of application. Timothy, what are you doing? Stir up the gift that is in you. What's, what's the gift in you? See, do you think about these things? I don't know. Maybe I'm different, but I've thought about I've, that's, This is what I think about, especially when I was a young Christian. What is the gift that is in me? think a lot about what is my purpose in life? What are the things God has me? Because I always knew that I was different, if that, if that makes sense. And everybody says, amen. But <laughs> I, I always knew that there was something for me. See, I, I never was attracted to what a, a lot of other people were attracted to. There was always this inner, deeper thing in me that was always at work. I, I have a purpose in life. There's a mission for me. I have something that God wants me to accomplish. Sometimes it, was, it would drive me to distraction, and I, would, you know, I, I was just consumed with that. But what do you meditate about? What is your purpose? What is your call? What do you see God doing in your life that is so valuable? So we're talking about, as Andrew was mentioning last night, the pearl of great price. Well, we are the pearl, but also he is our pearl, where we lay aside all things. And the soldier doesn't entangle himself in the things of this life. And man, when I look at the world, and this is the beauty of the school, the missions trip. My first missions trip, it was actually a little bit longer than they are here. Mine was six weeks all throughout Mexico. Absolutely transformed my life. That was another building block in, in helping me discover my purpose and my call. And, and the passion rose up when I saw, at that time, 1977, I think, the country of, of Mexico, and we went through town after town after village after village after Pueblo after Pueblo, and, and there was no evangelical witness in, in any of those places at that time that we were going through. It was just wide open. There was nothing there. And I thought, I, I cannot go back to Texas and just live my life as a normal church Christian. I can't do it. I can't do it. Now, some people, perhaps you can do that. You know, maybe you have a different call. I can't, I'm not trying to dump on you here. But something in you should have, if the heart of God is in you, then the heart of God is to reach the nations. The heart of God is to reach other people across the street or across the world. If you have the love of God shed abroad in your heart, and see, this is what Paul is, is writing to Timothy. Hey, stir up the gift. Well, what's the gift in you? What's the call in your life? What's the purpose? 
And is it worthy of being separated and prepared and beginning to apply these things to your life? Is, is that call worthy of that? Are you willing to invest your life in that which Christ has invested in you? So that, as, we go through the, as we go through the letter now, let, let me look at and show you some examples of this. With those three concepts in mind, let me just review a few verses here. He's exhorting Timothy in chapter 1, verse 13. He says, Hold fast the form of sound words. Chapter 2, verse 1. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Then we'll go to chapter 2, verse 15. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. What would study be? Would it be separation or preparation or application? It's preparation. Study to show yourself approved unto God. Verse 16, shun profane and vain babblings. What would that be? Separation. Shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. We could read a lot of that there, but drop on down to verse 22. Flee also youthful lusts. What is that? Separation. Verse 23, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid separation. We'll go on to chapter 3, verse 14. He says, but continue thou in the things which you have learned and have been assured of. Preparation, continue in these things, knowing of whom you have learned them. Paul speaking of himself, no doubt. And that from a child you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation. All of this is preparation. Through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished. Preparation unto all good works. Then he goes down to chapter 4, verse 2. Preach the word. Application. See, all of this is in here. The things Paul is trying to get across. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. So preach the word, Timothy. Application. We get down to verse 5. But watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. Application. Do the work of an evangelist. Application. Make full proof of your ministry. Application. This is a father's letter to a son. This is, this is his last, in his mind, his last written expression of that which is most dear and, and important to him. And, he, and he, he writes not to a church. He writes not a doctrinal thesis. He writes to his son in the faith. And he says, Timothy, man, don't pull back. Don't drop off. Don't drop out of the race. Anyone ever known people that have dropped out? I've known lots of people that started strong and they're nowhere to be seen today. They dropped out of the race. And Paul has this concern. I'm about to depart, Timothy. I'm about to be gone. Stir up the gift. Don't be ashamed. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. And I would say the same to some of you today that are thinking about Bible school and some of you students that are, that are still not completely sold out to your call. Don't pull back. Don't drop off. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. There's something divine, something unique, something 
in you that is in no one else. Some gift. Stir up the gift that is in you. And don't lose that precious thing. And he says, okay, Timothy, now, be a soldier. Separate yourself. Be an athlete. Prepare yourself. And like a farmer, begin to apply yourself to what God has given you. Preach the word. Be instant. Be ready. Do it. Get involved because I'm about to depart. Then he goes into chapter 4. He says, I'm, a, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm on my way. This is in your hands now. This is in your ball court now. I was thinking about, and I'll finish with this, I was thinking about the great man of faith, T.L. Osborne. When he was a young man, and he, had, they, he and his wife had gone to India, and they had failed, and they came back, and they, they came in touch with the power of God, and had, he had a vision of Christ and just transformed his life. And he was wanting to go to the meetings of the great men and women of faith that were around at that time. And yet they were, as he was getting this revelation, they were dying. Smith Wigglesworth died and Amy Simple McPherson died. And I I forget the names of, of other people of that era that were great people of faith and miracles. And he was thinking, man, they're, they're dying before I can get to their meetings and hear them and be in contact with them and get that imprint on my life. Who is going to continue on with that work? Who is going to continue to carry the power of God to the world? And that's when the Lord spoke to him and said, you. You are the next generation. Well, T.L. Osborne is now in his late 80s. He's still ministering as he, as he is able. Who's going to carry on? Who's the next generation of soldiers? Who's going to take the message of grace? Who's going to take those two or three years and separate themselves and prepare themselves and apply themselves to the gift of God? It's a gift in your heart. Do you have the right to waste it? Do you have the right to waste the divine call and gift of God upon your life? Something that no one else has, unique to you, that the world needs. You don't have the right to waste it. Separate yourself prepare yourself, apply yourself, reproduce yourself. That's God's call for all of us. Amen? I got a couple minutes here. Can I just pray for you real quick and I'll be done? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. And in in the spirit right now, Lord, I just see young men and women, middle-aged men and women, golden-aged men and women, but soldiers of Jesus Christ. There is so much potential in this room right now. Not counting the students and the years that are to come or those that have passed. Just right now, right here in this room, Lord, there is enough power, enough giftings to shake nations, to bring people out of darkness into light. There are divine, unique giftings in every heart right here. And Lord, I pray that each one would stir up the gift that is within them. Stir it up and decide to be separate and prepared and to begin to apply that gift and to see the call of God realized in their lives. Hallelujah, Lord. I pray your favor, your wisdom, your blessing upon each and every one that they would sense your call and decide to walk in it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, thank you.
Okay. Well, that was a message for everybody in this room, I believe, not just the prospective students here, but all the students and staff as well. That was really good. I just have a few announcements I've been given. Uh, first of all, on this break here, um, they are going to be serving the bagels and uh, fruit in, in the CBC break room, and it is open for all so, uh, students as well. So you could go ahead and enjoy. And um, a reminder that um, our product room will be open and uh, we just want to encourage you to go there and uh, just check out all the different product from Andrew's table. The Karis Bible College has a table. And uh, they wanted me to show you this new t-shirt that they have available. It's a Karis Bible College t-shirt. Uh-oh. It's not the other one. But uh, anyway, there's t-shirts we have available. We have hats, mugs, and uh, different things. So we just want to encourage you to go check all that out. And again, that's all available to the students and, um, you know, the, uh, there's a group of students putting together a hike on uh, Friday afternoon after the session. So we'll have someone come up here and share just a little bit about what they're doing. But we want to encourage all of you to participate in that who can. They're going to be going to the Garden of the Gods. Okay? All right. Well, this one's a 20-minute break. We'll see you at 10.05.